podcasting from the world's most livable city, Melbourne. This is the Your Career Down Under Show, a podcast dedicated to help newly arrived skilled migrants and settled migrants with their career and employment issues. We interview recruiters, career coaches, HR experts and employers who share tips, techniques and insights to help you land a job quickly and rapidly advance your career. Hello everyone, this is Naishad Gadani from Your Career Down Under and uh, thank you for tuning in to receive our career care package as we like to call it. Uh, this is our fifth week of doing LinkedIn Live every weekday, 3 p.m. Melbourne time and 10.30 a.m. India time. This is our 22nd LinkedIn Live uh, consecutively and we are we can't thank you enough for the generous support that we have received from our listeners and also in terms of feedback and also the questions that we've been receiving so thank you very much that's what we want to hear now to give you a bit of background of why me and Caroline are doing what we are doing is that uh, I think the reason is very clear is COVID-19 and we have seen a tremendous uncertainty in the in the market but also you know specifically in the employment market and what we want to do through this linkedin live events is to provide you the job seekers and the professionals out there who are struggling or who are on the edge of uncertainty we want to give you hope and we want to give you optimism in these times and that's why we bring along different diverse guests and experts to talk about various things that can impact you if you are looking at a job if you're looking at changing career if you're looking at entrepreneurship doesn't matter whenever you tune in into our linkedin line you will see new ideas and new perspectives on things so today we are actually going to dig uh, drill into recruiters brain don't worry, we are not going to do any surgery for this matter because I'm in India, they are in Melbourne, it's not possible. There's a virtual surgery is invented so far, but we are going to you know, sort of look at the inside of how recruiters really function. What's their head space looks like when they look at a particular role and then look at candidates, right? And I think it's a fascinating conversation. So we are joined by two experts on this, but before I do that, welcome Caroline uh from melbourne so why don't you you know sort of you know introduce our guest and also give people a little bit background about what you do as well yeah thanks nash and hi everyone um so i'm the founder of interview iq and one of the things that i think is really important for people looking for jobs is actually to understand the audience being the recruiter at the other end so um i thought it'd be fantastic to get um some experienced recruiters on LinkedIn Live, on the Career Care Package, and as Nash says, ask them questions about what's really going on, on behind the scenes because, um, you know, different recruiters use different methods and have di different ways of looking at things. So I'd like to introduce Dan Nuru and Shankar Pillay. Hi, guys. How are you Hi going? Hi, Very well. Excellent. So, um, Dan and Shankar are experienced recruiters in, in different sectors. So I'll get you guys to start off with just giving a, maybe start with you, Dan, giving a, a background of the areas, your areas of expertise and where you've recruited. And then um, I'll hand over to you, Shankar, and we'll start to talk about, I guess, what, you, what, what tools you've been using to find staff um, in recent times, basically, because I know there's a myriad of things that recruiters now do to actually find talent. So yeah, Dan, do you want to kick off with sure. telling people a bit about yourself? Yeah, so look, I've been recruiting actively, I suppose, since about 97. Um, kids are going, I didn't know that time actually existed. Um, <laughs> I recruited before the internet and before email, all right? I'm oh, that kind of <laughs> So uh, we, um, predominantly IT, uh, that's where my majority of my background has been. Uh, running teams up to about seven, eight people across the country, internationally, um, and a lot of consulting work as well from a, 
uh, IT consulting capability. I've worked in-house in those kind of companies. That, yeah. And a bit of everything. So I was a bit yeah. more of a journalist from a recruiting, trying everything from branding through the marketing to selection, um, lot of selection, uh, stakeholder manager, a bit of everything as far as that goes. Yeah, so you started in the days of newspapers and have ended up in the days uh, of technology, basically. Paying thousands upon thousands of dollars for small little ads in newspapers. We had to do the word count and, yeah. Bring back bad memories. So, Shanky, you're probably a bit younger than, than us. So. Yeah, so um, I've only recruited yeah. during internet times, so I haven't had that sort of experience. Yeah. But... Um, where I've sort of had my experience, so I've been in the industry for about six plus years, um, both in terms of agency recruitment and internal recruitment. Again, I also focus within the technology space. So I've looked at sort of roles such as PMs, BAs, but also uh, within the infrastructure and cybersecurity space um, is where I've done it. But I've also looked at sort of, you know, business intelligence, data and all that. But that's where I sort of uh, look after. Yeah, fantastic. So some of the areas that are in demand in general, I suppose, that you've been, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, so maybe, yeah, start with you, Dan. Um, what are typically ways that you would have sourced candidates? Is, is Seek still the, the biggest tool or are you using, have been using other methods? Oh, look, Seek tends to give you volume. Yeah. Uh, whether the quality is there or not, it's, it's debatable. I mean, you know, talent in the eye of the beholder. Um, yeah. And you only need one most of the time, so... There's just lots of lots to read through to kind of get there, but yeah. you know websites through LinkedIn, a lot of sourcing through that. Uh, net, uh, referrals are, are huge for us to so just get on the phone, actually physically talk to as many people as as, as we can, as opposed yeah. to just um, you know massive email outs or marketing campaigns. Um, and you know using tools like you know, High Tool and and everything like that as far as use. I mean finding the people isn't isn't too bad. It's the engagement and getting them to to, to want to play, I suppose, which yeah. is one of the bigger challenges you kind of get. Yeah. So when you're reaching out to people, getting them interested in the role or even to respond to your call or, or email is... Yeah, I'm, I'm thinking, man, with COVID, it might be a little bit more... Uh, people might get a little <laughs> bit more uh, happy to talk to us. But... Uh, yeah. Hi. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. What about you, Shanky? Because um, your last role was, was with um, Robert Half. Um, what were you predominantly using to, to find people? So we um, we do use Seek, we do use LinkedIn. Um, we also have our own sort of database. In terms of sort of Seek, um, you know, a lot of, I guess a lot of agencies use that as sort of a, a branding concept to say, hey, look, we are out to market with this particular role. Um, mm. and, and, you know, you do find um, somewhat good candidates from that Seek. But we do have our own sort of, you know, a good recruiter will always have his own good network of um, talent and, and a talent pipeline of what they consider as good candidates or what we would call sort of a, a matrix of candidates. Mm. Um, LinkedIn, if we are doing a specialised search, we will use LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. um, so we will try and do that. But also from our database, you know, large organisations such as Robert Half and, and other organisations do have an extensive portfolio of, of candidates within their database. And as long as they're sort of, key coded the right way, um, you know, that's another bow in our, in our arrow as it gets. Mm. Okay. I'm curious, and I think a lot of my clients and people watching are curious about once you get a resume, what happens? Like, what, what's the process What that you might typically go through to, you know, from, you know, how perhaps you look at that resume to actually organising interviews and things like that. So, Shankar, what, what, what's the, what happens once the resume might hit your desk from a source? Yeah, so the way that it um, would happen is depending on what industry that we're recruiting in, um, mm. the first thing that we will look at is, is that candidate, so maybe I'll give you a scenario. So say, for example, yeah. we're recruiting within the education sector um, and then we have, um, you know, we put up an advert, candidates apply to that advert. A lot of the times, probably eight times out of 10, those hiring managers would prefer someone that does come from that same industry so we yeah. are looking for people with like for like industry just because of the fact that they know that particular type of environment they understand it um, and if you are going through a recruitment agency our job is uh, to find that right particular person because we want to get back um, you know client you know we, we still want uh, repeat 
business. So mm. we are looking for people that may have worked at, um, you know, from education sector and they've worked specifically on Salesforce, for example. So we know, okay, so they've worked on that particular technology and that industry. Now that's something that we would then engage with and then give them a call and then sort of then find out a little bit more about them. Mm. Okay. And is that similar to, to you, Dan? Is that sort of the process that you're matching up job description with candidate or are you... Because the mine was more internally facing, uh, yeah. there was you know a big percentage of of, of what Shanka kind of said, yeah. Um, but I think the only other difference is, but if the person's actually made their resume, talk to the role specifically, and it's not mm -hmm. a scattergun, that kind of actually stands out a fair bit. Yeah. Um, something else, you know, if I'm talking from a candidate perspective, and sometimes they can feel like they just go into a, a black hole and never hear from again because a whole bunch of stuff's automated, et cetera. So all of the mm -hmm. ACSs will have scoring uh, capabilities and stuff like that. So your, your CV scores correctly will be higher up and maybe the ATS will tell the, the recruiter on the other side of the screen whether who the, who the people they're going, they should be shortlisting are. Mm. Um, so one of the mistakes I've seen people make a bit is having a nice flash resume or whatnot, but maybe not ensuring it passes for an ATS. It'll pass into an ATS. Um, you know, we bang all these kind of graphics and it just becomes gobbledygook on the screen. So nothing actually happens to the, to the CV. Yeah. Um, we get so, so many questions from there. Is, is Shanka. Yeah. Yeah, then we'll have a chat to someone and, you know, see if they're, uh, we're on the same page from a uh, technical, motivational, financial kind of fit. You'll find yeah. someone that's face to face. Yeah. And is there anything that makes you jump out, like anything that people do that, like makes you sit up, sit up and take notice and jump out and say yes. Um, you know, that, that that person would jump out and say yes to you, I must see you immediately. Is there um, anything that you're sort of looking for in that kind of area? I look for from the companies I've worked on uh, previously. If someone's worked in a maybe a competitive environment, uh, in an mm. organisation that competes with, that's a, some low-hanging fruit to, to yeah. start off with. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And look, a lot of recruits, we, we want to get on to the next thing as quick as we can. So if you're loving fruit, we can do that thing. Yep, get that happening, move on to the next thing. So sometimes that's a, a quick, easy thing. Yeah, so making it easy. I guess a person's making it easy for you to see what they've done and how relevant it is. And Yeah. Well, your resume is a sales document, yeah? Um, yeah. yeah. The job of the resume, as I say, is to get you in front of the, the hirer, the person who's mm. going to be doing the hiring. Um, that's, as, that's as much as the resume does. It doesn't actually get you the job. The, the interviews and subsequent things from that will get you the job. The resume mm -hmm. gets you in the door. Um, yeah. So think of the document as far as that goes. And it's a lot easier said than done. I've yeah. had to write my own recently and it's a horrible <laughs> experience. I've had that one for years. Oh, I hated it. Um, yeah. And obviously it hasn't been super successful because I'm still looking. But, yeah. Um, yeah. Anyone listening out there, Dan needs a job. <laughs> um, but making it easy for the, for the hire to say yes is essentially what I, I see the, the, the role the resume is to do. Yeah. Um, so with an ATS, maybe maybe you can answer this one, Shankar. Like, do you does the ATS give you accurate results, or do you ever interview anybody that sort of hasn't been shortlisted by by the ATS? So it, it's there's a lot of sort of misconception around the sort of ATS and and how it sort of works. I know that some people think that there's a sort of a a scanning device and it and it does. Um, yeah. what, it, what it essentially is, is um, so when we are doing a search within that database, um, if your CV does have particular um, what we call key codes, so say, mm. for example, again, Workday or Salesforce, then it will pick that up. But then we will still go through that CV to make sure, um, you know, you, you do have that relevant experience or you've had, had that relevant experience. So mm. um, I wouldn't put too much emphasis around that because it's not specific. Like we've had candidates where they just throw in sort of key codes and, and you know, we will make, we'll put out that call and they haven't really had that experience. So it's going to do you a disadvantage. So if you do have that experience around that particular technology or a particular type of project, then pop that into your CV rather than just sort of flooding your CV with all these type of skill codes. Mm. So it needs to be re relevant, really, an accurate representation of, of who you are. And um, Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I had someone recently who did a whole bunch of white. They put all their... Oh, yeah. Any kind of key to it, it was all in white, and you read the resume, and I couldn't see why I was actually reading it. And... <laughs> uh, 
and I couldn't yeah, highlight it. It was there, and yeah. yeah, it took me ages to figure out why. But I'm like, yeah, well, well done. But you know, yeah. <laughs> again, wasted my time and theirs because you gave them a call and nothing happened. Yeah. Yeah, we discussed that one the other day about putting stuff in white fonts and don't do it. But um, what about, like I was reading the other day that Telstra with all of the, I think it was Telstra or it might have been one of the government departments that had all of those applicant applications and they used a lot of AI in terms of um, the shortlisting process. And I think from a, I think there was a couple of video screening questions and God knows what they used, used behind that. But what sort of technologies do you see coming into the forefront in terms of the way people are recruiting? Are you seeing anything that's really sexy or interesting in the way that people are, are, are doing stuff? You, you go, Shanko. I'll follow up. <laughs> yeah, no, that's all right. Um, look, to be fair, I know that um, Telstra were using the AI, so they were using that, but that was for sort of entry-level roles. Mm. Um, and where it's high volume based and that's where you could use technology such as AI to help scan through that process and then mm. use you know tools such as Highview where it's sort of a one-way um, video interview and like questions down the bottom but if yeah. you but if it's sort of a specific um, or specialized skill you're not going to use AI in those particular areas and now that may eventually come but it's only just going to enhance I guess like LinkedIn it will just enhance that search for recruiters and what have you so yeah. I wouldn't put so much emphasis around it. And, and again, look, these technologies are quite expensive as well. So companies such as Telstra can afford to use that. But, you know, your small SMBs or even sort of your, your traditional organisations, they're not using AI. They're using, you know, your standard platforms such as Seek, LinkedIn, and, and that's mainly it. And if they've got a database, they'll use that. And that's tr traditionally, and I've worked in quite a number of organisations from CBA, um, mm. uh, you know, Metricon, um, even GA, you know, th these are the things that we still sort of use. Um, so it'd be interesting. I guess AI will eventually come about once it's sort of more mature in its state, but um, it hasn't disrupted our sort of our services at the moment. Yeah. You can see yeah, the application for Telstra given the volumes that they would have and the speed that they needed to get people on board, yeah. What about you, Dan? What Have you seen anything that's really, that you could see that would maybe be a long-term trend or something that's really interesting that people are doing? Look, I'm a grumpy old bugger, so I look at these <laughs> things and um, I'm, I'm probably not the person people want in a lot of their, their presentations because yeah, it's, I want to know the problem. There's, there's a bucket load of, of recruitment technology out there, right? Um, there's all, all these new silver bullets that keep coming out that's going to save the world and change everything and disrupt or Uberize or whatever you want to want to say. Yeah. Um, but bottom line, what makes me get a better hire at the right time next to sit with me? Yeah. Um, I haven't seen anything as yet. There probably is, but I haven't seen it yet. That yeah. that gives me that 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 awesome experience from from both sides, from the candidate yeah. and from from the employer, that automates the whole thing through. Yeah. Um, from people calling the, the video interviewing, which is more video screening as, as far as I see it. Yeah. Um, that's all well and good for volume kind of stuff, but someone's still got to watch. It's five minutes yeah. worth of stuff. It doesn't take me five minutes to read a resume or to call someone. Um, yeah. So, you know, but if you get hundreds of thousands or thousands upon responses, maybe we'll come in handy. Um, mm. You know, but as, as Shanka said, the, the, the cost that goes with a lot of those, um, mm. To the value that you receive. Um, the question was, so how can we prove that buying this will make me hire 100 extra people or 10 extra people? Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's and then relating it back to the bottom line of the organisation, how is doing this going to make the company X amount of money? If mm. it's going to make me $100,000, I'll spend 10 grand on it. Um, yeah. If I can't prove an ROI to the business from there, then it's hard to get past the, yeah. the guys that sign the check or the people that sign the check at the top of the screen. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Hey, Nash, have we had any questions from um, the audience? Yes, 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 we do. Uh, so one of the question uh, is uh, what happens once you send a profile to the client? And, you know, are there chances of you really kind of advocating on behalf of the job seeker that, you know, he or she should get a chance? What really happens, Shankar, if I can start with you? Yeah. What you know, how do you really structure that that kind of conversation with the client so that the job seeker, because you, I, I imagine, uh, you know, that you'd be spend, sending at least two or three profiles to the client for them to select through. Uh, but how do you, how does that process really work? 
Yeah, okay. Um, no, that's a good question. Maybe I'll, what I'll do is I'll run it from the start. So when we have found our shortlist and, and traditionally for one particular role, we would have maybe three to five candidates within that shortlist that we would then send over to that hiring manager. Um, with that hiring manager, we would then set up a call to run through the profiles. So these are a sort of a, a small sort of blurb around our findings through our face-to-face -face interview that we've had with the candidate. Now, as you can imagine, if you are, um, I think this is on both sides as well, both internal and agency, you're advocating for the people that you put forward. Now, you're obviously going to discuss, you know, which candidates may particularly be better in one certain area. So this could be around, say, sort of soft skills, but the other candidate was quite strong in the technical capability. You know, we're also discussing around sort of cultural fit of that environment as well. So we're really deep diving to understand not only the client's landscape, but how that individual will fit within that organisation as well. So that's probably how it does. We do definitely advocate, especially, you know, maybe even at in um, external agencies more so than internal because, we, you know, there is a, a commission associated with that. And not only that, we, we want repeat business from that client. We're trying to make sure that, hey, look, we are really good at our jobs. We know what you are looking for. And this person that I have found will be suitable for your organisation. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Did you have anything on, on top of that or do you do anything differently? Or did you do anything differently, Dan? Uh, no, not really. I, I suppose when uh, if someone got through the process that I was running and I was and we were excited to hire them, I'd push as hard as we we, we possibly could. Um, yeah. You know, I worked for, for one organisation where I was in the position that we were able to to hire on someone who that we were super excited about, um, yeah. with or without with or, with or without roles or projects for them to go on to. Um, yeah. That was a, a really I mean a nervous time where you were actually being tested on all your decisions and you were actually making the decisions as opposed to making recommendations. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was a, a lot of fun, I've got to say. <laughs> <laughs> what about, what makes you really go hard for someone? Like if, if like, what, what could a, a candidate, maybe you're on this one, Shanko, like what could a candidate do to, for you to be their true advocate, for you to sort of really push for them or, you know, uh, put in a good word even though the client might be reluctant is there something that people could do or do better around that yeah no that's a, that's a really good question as well um i think um what people also um need to understand is not only are we looking at your technical capabilities as well um it's also your soft skills as well uh you know these are two major things that we are looking at and if we to and, and and not all the times do hiring managers um, always have it right. Um, you know they they have this picture in their mind of what the perfect candidate may be, but um, and, and what we call is sort of a purple squirrel where you know they want all these um, you know skills and technology stacks and what have you. But you know you're never going to find that. But we have found, or what we believe is, we have found the next best thing. And a lot of the times we do get a lot of pushback from hiring managers that they say, no, we don't think that that's the right person. But it, it comes down to the relationship that the recruiter has with that hiring manager and how strong that candidate really is. So if we really do deem that this is the right candidate, trust me 100% that that recruiter will push for that candidate to get in the door. And, and it may not even be if the hiring manager pushes back and say, look, we don't even want uh, to do a face-to-face -face interview. We'll be like, okay, that's fine. Maybe you don't think that that candidate's worthwhile for that face-to-face um, -face interview. But if you just have a chat with this um, candidate, that will change your mind. And, and that works, you know, nine times out of 10, the hiring manager will come back and say, look, uh, he or she was, was really good. Um, can we set up an interview? And that's yeah. how it sort of goes from there. So we do definitely push. Um, yeah, so we will always advocate if we do deem that that um, candidate is the right person, um, but we won't push, obviously, if we think, you know, it's not the right yeah. person. That makes sense. Yeah. Nash, you look like you're about to say something. No, I'm just checking. I am just checking. I've got heaps of questions. I had to restart my phone. Okay, so here's the question. Uh, do you well, look people with conventional career trajectory or somebody who doesn't have a conventional career trajectory? I specifically, the question comes from if someone's 
changing career, right? And uh, you know, how should he or she should really approach, uh, you know, specifically working with recruiters? Because I think there is a general perception out in the in the community of job seekers is that the recruiters will pick the lowest hanging fruit, somebody who's got consistent so that they don't have to really hard sell to the to the employer. But I really want to understand if someone's changing career, how they can approach the recruiter. If you can start with you, Dan, and also look at what will you look at in those resumes, uh, you know, as well. Say two part question on that. Okay. Well, start with the resume one. I think just throwing resumes out if you want to change careers and applying for a uh, an OBA role when you've uh, worked at a, a, a been a sandwich attendant at, at Subway or something. Um, unless you've done your university degree through there and you're going for a graduate thing, then you've got to explain that. But just throwing resumes out, expecting someone to mention it, it's, it's just not going to work. Um, because, as you said, you'd read it and you'd say, well, why? Um, the ones I've hired in the past uh, who have gone from the, the change of career have found a reason to contact me. We've, we've had a discussion and we've got so excited going, yep, okay, we'll meet. Um, so from that point of view, I don't think a resume is going to work for you. I think it's the connection and the conversation with people to help them advocate from a personal point of view as opposed to a career history and a background point of view. Mm. So it's understanding their motivations and their excitement for the change or something that, that convinces you that they'd be worthy of, you know, further further conversation. Is that is that right, Dan? Correct. Exactly right. You got the, the, They've given me the why. Yeah. Uh, yeah. They give me the impetus that, that I need to meet this person. Uh, yeah. Or else, you know, you've got a couple hundred resumes coming in every day. You're not going to adjust to it just because. Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because I always say to people, you know, because I get that, help people with their resumes and I get that, like, I want to make this transition. And your resume can, and the act of putting together a resume can actually get you to understand what you can bring, but it's a piece of paper and you've got to be able to represent that. And I always say... You're going to get more um, traction doing networking than versus just applying for a job and competing with people who've got the background, the perfect background on paper. So, yeah. And that's a daunting thing, right? It's it's a nervous yeah. thing to to pick up as you know, from an agency point of view. It's just like cold calling. Yeah. Um, and I haven't met too many people that really enjoy that, but it's yeah. a necessary thing you've got to need to do, right? Yeah. We've all done it. Um, but yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. If yeah, I can I also, that's... you know, yeah. If, no, Shankar, go ahead. Yeah, you know, we also want to hear from you as well. Yeah, I think from what Dan was saying, I think in a case like that, if you are, um, you know, you, you're, you're trying to find yourself in your career and you are, you know, you've gone from one job to another field and, and what have you, you're going to have to write something quite compelling on your CV and it needs to be probably at the at the front of your CV to let them know, all right, well, this, is, this was my journey and this is why I switched over. But again, hovering on to Dan's point, you're going to have to build a relationship with a recruiter. Um, it might be even a little bit harder to build with an internal recruiter. You'd probably have to go out to an external recruiter, build that relationship so they have an understanding of what you've been doing. But again, that, that is a very hard play if you are constantly moving from one career to another career um, as that does provide sort of an inconsistency in the recruiter's mind. And especially if they're trying to represent you in the best light, um, there might be some questions around that. So again, yeah, it is a little bit hard. Mm, that makes sense. I always feel that, you know, just like, you know, we disclose our, you know, incomes and non-incomes to the tax agents. I feel that we should be honest and open to the recruiter because they should know, right? What are, you know, what's the whole package really looks like, right? Now you touched on a point of relationship and I'll probably start with one of the biggest challenge or the biggest thing that I get asked in the last 10 years is why the hell recruiters don't return my phone call? I've been calling them, right? So I've got both of you now. <laughs> Tell us, give us some hacks on how, how does a job seeker really get hold of a recruiter? Like with a coffee, 8 o'clock in the morning, rocking up. Hey, Shankar, that's your favorite that's a that's a very good start that's a very good start <laughs> <laughs> yeah, buy me a coffee i'm anyone <laughs> 
So tell us, you know, tell us, tell us, you know, really, because I, I think that's, you know, and, and, you know, I, all, I also give another example that how many of us really listen to those people who are trying to sell us something? We don't say, you know what? Yeah, you know, John, thanks for calling me. Let me sit here for 15 minutes, listen to your sales speech and then decline. I said, no one's going to listen to that, right? So, so how do you, what are your, you know, sort of, you know, views on how should people approach you? Do, do they just continuously haunt you or do they leave a nice voicemail? You know, what are your thoughts? And if you've seen somebody doing really well, you know, uh, you know, what have, have they done? So let's start with Shankar and then Dan. Yeah, all right. So I'll I'll give you how it all how it all plays out in a sense. So, say for example, you have applied for a role, um, and we bring you in. We've interviewed you. Now it's of one of two cases: either we have a role on, or we are building our talent pool because we have foresight of a role happening. So if you are successful, guaranteed you are going to hear from that recruiter. There's no way that that <laughs> recruiter would let that go. Um, but obviously on the, on the flip side, a candidate that hasn't heard back from a recruiter, that could be purely one of two things. Um, either you were not successful or you didn't perform very well um, and that the recruiter may be sort of somewhat reluctant to tell you uh, that you've performed, uh, you know, not to the best of your abilities. But on the on the other side is that we are just still continuing talent talent pooling to have sure that we have the right candidates for when these roles come about. So the way that you would want to sort of stay in touch is yes, definitely sort of leave a voicemail, shoot across an email, but you don't want to constantly bombard that recruiter to the fact where they're like, well, you know, this person's really really annoying. And you know, a good way is. Um, once you finish that interview or what have you, you can always ask the recruiter, so what are the next steps from here um, and when can I expect to hear back from you? Um, a lot of the times, you know, as recruiters, we are terrible, terrible, terrible at time management and getting back to people because we are speaking to that many people on the fly. Um, you know, we don't always remember, remember, remember names. We don't store numbers in our phones. So it is a, you know, it is a chaotic method. And But, you know, that you do have the some that are quite uh, methodical in the way that they sort of, um, you know, put candidates in the database and what have you. But, you know, always follow up. I think at a time like this, you want to be proactive. So, yeah, make sure you follow up. But use your, you know, your level of understanding. Um, you know, you don't want to be bombarding that recruiter and what have you. But we'll always try and get back to you. It's never that we don't want to get back to you. It's just either we forgot, we've got other things on the go. Um, and, yeah, and that's how it sort of goes. Mm. Oh, that's internal thing as well. Go now. Yeah, now look, I'll say internally it's pretty much the same. We, it's not, I mean, a lot of recruiters will talk ad nauseum about a candidate experience, and a lot of that is about giving the, the candidate the uh, good, bad, or indifferent news after an interview, after a meeting. Um, we know we're crap at it, and we don't. We lose the time sometimes, and you know, people fall through the cracks, and, and things don't happen as, as well as we'd like it to. Um, but yeah, if if the recruiter's told you a time frame they should be able to get back to you, then if they don't, feel free to, to, to chase them up. Um, mm. Yeah, not, not to the degree of stalking, I suppose. It's that, that you know, uh, a bit ordinary. But and I probably don't advocate rocking up at the office and saying, hey, can I have a meeting? That's, um, I've had that happen. That's a little bit scary. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but phone calls and emails, and you can find most recruiters on LinkedIn and stuff as well. Um, mm. They're not normally hard to find or find ways of contacting. Uh, mm. And most people want to get back to you. It's just finding mm. the time to, to do it. Yeah. Is there a time frame where if you haven't heard, I guess it's a, this is a how long a bit of stringing us question, but is there a time frame where you haven't heard that you should just assume that nothing's happening or do some clients take their time or things go on in the business? That, like is there a cutoff period that people should go, no, that's not, that job's just not going to go ahead or...? Does it really I, don't do think, I don't think there's a set time. I think it's dependent on the client and the environment. Yeah. Um, in the last or well, we we had someone. I think I put him up in September, ish, and I think he started in February. Oh, God. Yeah. Um, and it was an yeah. urgent it was an urgent requirement at the start as well. Um, mm. And then it was turn around and hurry up and wait. 
Um, you know, internal things happen, budgets get pulled, new management teams come in, all that kind of stuff. But, you know, look, if you haven't heard from someone, I'd say within a week or so, I'd be assuming the worst, and I wouldn't be putting all my eggs in that basket yeah. from there, I suppose. I'd be, and you shouldn't have all your eggs in one basket if you're looking for a job anyway. Yeah. You should be model things. Keeping track of it's pretty important as well and a challenging thing to do, but yeah. Yeah. Did you have another question, Nish? Yes. Um, so what are some of the big turn-offs uh, from a recruiter point of view that, that you'd immediately say, nah, I won't, I'm not moving forward with it. I'm not talking about resumes. So let's put that aside for a moment. But in terms of your interviews and interactions, what are some of your big turn-offs that you, you've seen that enough and when somebody does it, they don't really have a second chance and you think, nah, that's not, that's not good enough and we'll probably move to the next candidate. So then if we can start with you, what are, you know, you, you've been in the game for, uh, for all Too long. the 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> Since the paper-based advertising. <laughs> when I had to read everything and yes, anything, <laughs> wait for a fax machine and all that kind of business. Um, I'm getting mail. Um, um, from an interview and a conversational point of view, oh, is there anything completely turns me off all the time? Arrogance, um, people talking over me in in, in my interview because um, I'm an arrogant bugger. If I'm in an interview or I own that room kind of thing, and someone trying to take that over it annoys me. Um, uh, people who are who have obviously fabricated their resume. You can find that out fairly quickly once you're interviewing someone. Um, and, well, things like they say they've worked at X companies. Oh, so you met John. Smith over there. Did you work with him? He was in that team. Uh, no. Oh, really? Yeah. Been like 15 years. Uh, yeah, that kind of stuff kind of throws you about. Um, people who are maybe unrealistic in their and won't be coached from their remuneration expectations. Um, those kind of things throw me. Uh, or I also get a bit, bit put off if someone actually won't tell me what their, what their salary expectations are. Yeah. That, that ends up being, I feel like that's a bit of a waste of time for me because it's not that I want to rip someone off and get the lowest possible or get them too high. It's I want to make sure we're on the same page. Yeah. And so we can tell them at the start that my, the roles we have are paying 20 grand less than what you've just told me. Um, and I do realise people put some mayo on, on their salary expectations when you come and meet with someone and how you approach them also covers that off. Um, but if we can't be on the front about what things have been paid so we can set the right expectations with the people who will be paying it, um, I, I thought like that kind of wasted my time a bit. That makes sense. What about you, Shanky? You might have seen, you've probably seen a few things or? Yeah. Um, I think some, you know, especially the way that you conduct yourself on the phone is a big thing because that's almost your, like your CV is obviously what's got you in the door and then, you know, your phone mannerisms, you need to be quite wary of that. How you how you speak and, and make sure that you're listening to the converse, or the questions that are being asked, um, and you're not sort of blabbering on. You're being quite precise with, um, you know, what has been asked. So make sure to drill down on, on what has ever been asked. You know, always making sure that you are on time to your interviews. Don't don't make sure that you're not late because, um, especially if you're from agency or if you are late, just let us know um, because if you were late, yeah. you know that that automatically lets us know that. You don't have the respect and you're not going to have respect for the client, which is tough. Another one, you know, salary is also a big thing. A lot of people, you know, again, they like to, using Dan's word, they like to put mayo on it. But, you know, you have to be realistic. You can't just say, you know, I have this amount of expectations where the market, you know, we know the market rate. We have, you know, the data and what have you that depicts what salary banding that you should be in. And I'm, I'm all for paying people more, but it has to be a realistic figure. Um, they're probably the main things, you know, also the way that you present yourself in an interview, make sure that, you know, you're, you're presenting yourself well. Um, you know, people, as soon as you, we send you off to a hiring manager, they're looking at you first and foremost, you know, that's the first thing that we're, that they're looking at. And then the way that you sort of conduct yourself and what have you, but they'll, they'll be the things. Yeah. Can I add one more thing to that? Oh, I've, yeah. I've had a, I've had a time where people come in for, for an interview with me, um, and they'll have an assumption that I was working for an agency, for example. And their attitude would almost go 180 from the person I had in front of me who thought I was an agency to when they thought I was the hiring manager 
and the decision maker there. Um, mm-hmm. I don't see why your attitude should be different on, on either one because both sets of people are actually making a decision on your suitability. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so having a, a different focus for, for, at an agency versus a, uh, an internal thing, I think it's, it's running a risk of, of just stuffing yourself up. Yeah, I think it's interesting is because every part of the interaction is part of the interview, isn't it? It's part of the decision-making process from the first email you might send to how you answer the phone to whether you're ready for that call to, you know, how you say hi to the receptionist or so on. Oh, yeah. yeah. They all play massive parts. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. I've heard those tales, basically. So just wanted to go back. I don't don't know if you've got a few other questions, Nash. I'm sure you do. But just on that bit about being coachable. So is that about people having very unrealistic expectations of salary or what jobs they, you know, could go for or, you know, an elevated expectation about where they should be at? Is that what you're sort of talking about, that level of inflexibility in some ways? Yeah. Yeah, correct. Um, Yeah. Because we, we know, well, I'd like to think, we, we know where we can place them and where they'd fit within uh, our stakeholder group. Um, yeah. And if that's not, I mean, look, if it's not aligning, that's that's fine. Um, obviously, we're not the organisation for that person, and it's a two-way street. Um, so be as upfront and honest as you can. If it's not the right place, it's not the right place, and that's perfectly yeah. fine. Yeah, no, that makes sense. Yeah. Nish, any more? Uh, yeah, I, I'm just scrolling through. If you've got something to ask, uh, KB, you can continue. I'm just trying to summarize a question. Yeah, I guess it just is um, one of the questions I sort of was thinking about before we spoke was around post this crisis and post lockdown. Do you think it um, it's going to be a situation where um, employers are going to get a lot of resumes come flooding through? With un- well, What do you think the recruitment experience is going to be after after we're all let loose in the you know in the streets again. Go for it, Shanga. Well, we might so yeah, it's, oh, what's going to happen is because there's there's that there's that many people now going to be on the market. The competition is going to be fierce yeah. uh, with that many people applying for one, and even prior to COVID nineteen, that many people that would apply to one role was huge. Uh, now this many now with this situation come about and with the amount of redundancies and projects being cut and contractors being cut, you're going to see so many people apply for one role. So it is going to be fierce. So when uh, you're talking about how to stand out, um, mm. one of the ways that you want to try and stand out is using quantitative measures on how you sort of help impact a business, whether it be sort of save time, you know, increase revenue, um, improve processes and stuff like that. These are all things that we're going to want to see. But again, also taking that forward approach and not just sitting on your resume, you know, once you've put it through via seek and just hoping for the best. You want to make sure, you know, after that two days or three days, you're picking up the phone and, and calling um, that agency or that uh, company to find out what this, where is your status for that CV? Um, mm-hmm. Where is that going on? Because these are things that are going to put you in front of the ball game. Now, it's not always going to work, but, you know, if you... If you just leave it to your CV trying to get, you know, calls and what have you, I can guarantee you it's, you know, it's not always going to work for you. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, what do you think, Dan? Oh, I reckon we're going to, I reckon us recruiters are going to become really popular. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think so. We'll bring yeah. you back on. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway. um, but look, I'll follow up on one of Shanker's points. Calling and stuff is great. But make sure you've got a reason to call. The amount of phone calls I've received with a, yeah, I'm just calling up on the CV. Yeah, we've got it. Yeah. Have some questions. Have something worked out to actually help the conversation flow. Um, Just calling up is one thing, but call up with a purpose. And that'll make you memorable and stuff as well. And, yeah, if you want to actually put the recruiter on the spot, do an assumptive close and, hey, when can I come in and meet you? Uh, <laughs> a lot of recruiters have troubles with saying no when someone's flat out and asking them. It's a hard thing to say no to. There's a no one wants, yeah. It's yeah. a tough thing to, to say no to, but, yeah. you know, worth a try. What's the worst that can happen? Yeah, exactly. Oh, great tip. Did you have something else, Nish, or...? 
Yeah, but yes, uh, just wanted to ask on LinkedIn because, you know, obviously that's a, you know, I, I think uh, we have seen enormous activity on LinkedIn in last, you know, two months. I, I, you know, people would have signed up for premium accounts and, and, and whatever. What I want to find out from recruiter point of view, when you look at someone's profile, you know, and me and Caroline, you know, have been writing LinkedIn profiles and Caroline has been doing it for a long time. You know, we, we've got an idea of what we think the recruiters or the employers are looking for. When you look at LinkedIn profile, what are some of the things that you are looking into a LinkedIn profile and say, yep, I want to really connect with this person. I want to really ask this person about a particular job or a project, whatever. You know, so, you know, then if we can start with you, what do you look at when you look at LinkedIn profile and how do you really, secondly, about searching candidates also? So do you... I'll, I'll probably give an example of a business analyst. Um, you know, if you put business analyst, they'll probably end up one million results. You know, it's not going to help. But I want to understand, you know, both the aspect: how do you really search a candidate, and what do you look for in in a profile? So you start with me, Shankar. Oh, with you, Dan. Um, then you can start. Right? All right. Um, look, the, the first thing that's going to come up is, is obviously the title. So yeah, putting a BA up is it's it's pretty important. Don't I don't think putting up um, changing a title to try and sound cool or different or whatever it is is going to help because it's not going to make mm -hmm. it be be findable. Um, think about the search parameters that someone's going to put in to, to look for someone like you. Um, the the summary is pretty important. Uh, if you're actually looking, make sure there's a way someone can contact you as well. Um, you know, just someone having to connect with you to get that is a bit. Bit tougher, but finding a way for someone to connect with you is, is, is pretty big. Um, and then as much detail as, as you deem as, as, as necessary for the, for the reader of it. I'll, if I'm looking for a, a BA with CRM background and, and that kind of stuff, I'll have all those things that I'll be looking for. Um, that'll be the, the, the core things. How it's written, obviously, um, you know, I, I don't read the recommendations, to, to, be, to be honest, um, but it'll be the summary, it'll be the headline, it'll be the summary, and it'll be the stuff that does. It was what I believe. And the, and the ability to contact them. Mm -hmm. Again, love hanging for it. Make it easy for me to contact you. Life's grand. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Especially Thank if I don't you. have a recruiter license. Yeah. Yeah. Is there, yeah, what do you look for? Um, I think, uh, first and foremost, you should always have a professional photo up. You don't want to be like you're in the club or you're at a bar and, and make sure <laughs> that it is, it is you know, you know, three people, make sure that it is you. So first and foremost, have that because hiring managers will, will also look at your LinkedIn profile, not only just your CV, they will go over and look at your, your LinkedIn. Again, yeah, you're looking at sort of the summaries. But when, when we're doing a search, again, it's going to go from what industry you've worked in, what technology stacks that you've worked, uh, you know, even if you're an accountant, what, what sort of tools have you used and, and stuff like that, that will be put into the search um, and then a list will sort of come up. Um, again, we're, we're still, we're, we're trying to find the, the right match. So there's no, uh, it doesn't need to be completely fancy and, and full of information. Just dot points under what you did in each role is more than enough. And uh, as long as we can contact you. But again, we can do a LinkedIn message and shoot you a message and go from there. But yeah, they're probably the main things that you'd want to keep up to date. Mm. And make sure your LinkedIn profile is up to date as well. A lot of the yeah. times that um, candidates don't have their LinkedIn up to date, that's also a little bit frustrating. But if you can keep it up to date, that's great as well. Yeah, it's funny. I always say, because I, I take some of my clients through a networking exercise on LinkedIn where you're reaching out to strangers and so many people have the bare minimum in their profile. It's like, what can you connect with as a human being? What, you know, like you, you want people to be actually able to relate to what you've done or pick up the information that is going to help them um, make a decision about whether to connect with you. And I still see a lot of it that, you know, barely filled out profiles where it's left for people to guess. So. Yeah. That's my little soapbox that I just <laughs> in here. So yeah, yeah, 
And I think you're right, especially Excellent. when um, when candidates, if, especially if you've worked on sort of, if you're a contractor, because I, I would work sort of a contract desk, um, if you've worked on particular projects and stuff like that, again, I would be putting down all the quantitative things that I've sort of helped achieve mm. for that organisation and put that down. Because uh, whereas your CV, is, it talks about your key responsibilities. Yeah, that's fine. But a lot of things is we want to see, well, what did you achieve um, mm. in that organisation? And that's what's going to stand out the most. So if we can understand that, you know, we know that this is a person that we want to make contact with yeah makes sense yeah excellent so we are coming to an end now uh thank you very much dan and shankar for your generosity in sharing uh, the the knowledge because i think it is important in these times that the job seeker get the right advice and right perspective in you know in managing uh, you know this crisis right now so uh thank you again uh dan and shankar any people who are out there you know wanting to connect you can see dan's name and shankar pillai please go ahead and connect with them uh you know and and ask if you've got any any questions that we obviously it's a short time we can't cover all the questions but we've tried to pick up the best uh questions and also some of our questions that we've been continuously asked by the job seekers. So uh, do you want to say anything about uh, the signing up KB before we wrap yep. this up? So um, in the comments, I'll put a link to sign up to get daily notifications of what Neshad and I are talking on or have all the guests that we have. We have a real range of people coming up. So I send that out at 11.15 every day. My or mail team does. So, um, and I just want to say thank you so much, guys. It's been fantastic having you on, and you've given some great insight. And I really appreciate you um, sharing that with everybody. I, there's been a lot of value that I'm sure people um, will get out of it. So, if you ever want to come on again, just say the word, and um, you know, we'll, we'll have you on. So, yeah, thank you. Cheers, guys. Thank you, guys. I'll find a place with a bit more light next time. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> not literally <laughs> yeah all right everyone thank Perfect. you very much uh and we'll we'll see our uh you know me and caroline or we like to call this as team gadani and brown tomorrow 3 p.m <laughs> melbourne time again uh we are bringing a, a new perspective to tomorrow uh, where we'll have somebody from talent acquisition uh you know somebody who's worked in within the organization and we are asking them about similar questions so if you've got question for someone who's who set on interview as a hiring manager please bring your question tomorrow uh and it will be 3 p.m melbourne time so until we see you tomorrow stay safe stay healthy and stay indoors everyone see you later everyone bye cheers guys bye guys yeah. thanks everybody Thank you everyone for listening to the Your Career Down Under show. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you want to know more about how Your Career Down Under can help you, please reach out to us on www.yourcareerdownunder.com.au And if you have got a question about today's episode or if you want us to do a particular show on a particular topic, please reach out to us. We would love to do that. Until next time, be well.